thank you for being a member of the History of World War II podcast, episode 145, The Most Wanted Man in France. Last time, Commissioner Massou's efforts had finally yielded two prime possible accomplices, if Dr. Petiot was guilty, his wife Georgette, and the doctor's brother, Maurice. Both, when questioned, were defensive and told lies, which was not all that out of the ordinary in occupied France. Maurice had been to the townhouse where the bodies were found, and Georgette certainly knew more than she was letting on. Massou's experience told him the game was just getting underway. By the time Massou had finished questioning Maurice, at least round one was over, Georgette had awakened from her faint. To keep the pressure on her and to move along the case, the commissioner asked her to go with him to the Petio's apartment on Rue Carmatin. He needed her to gather some items, as she would be the guest of the police for a while. But he did not tell her this. Her anxiety level, already elevated, had to be controlled. After being let in by the police on guard, Massou's men searched the apartment again while he took up the questioning with Georgette. But now that she had recovered, or at least had time to center herself, her belligerence returned, which dominated her answers. The search turned up nothing that connected Georgette to the killings, but she was unable to explain a five-carat diamond given to her by Dr. Marcel Petiot, so she would later be charged with receipt of stolen property. But again, that was for later. For right now, Massou did not formally charge her with anything, but that did not mean she was free to go. Massou ordered her, politely, to pack a bag. Georgette packed that bag with the same anger or fear that she had answered his questions. They drove to the Hospital du, the oldest hospital in Paris. Besides the sick or those wounded in the short war before France capitulated, the hospital also held witnesses for the authorities. That way, they were not in jail, but could be kept an eye on and away from the press or anyone who might have decided that Dr. Petiot was guilty and take their revenge on his wife. Massou had to be honest with himself in how unsafe and uncontrollable the prisons of Paris were, and had been for years. Lastly, the commissioner did not want his guest to be able to kill herself and thus be unable to answer more questions. With Georgette safely put away and Maurice still in jail, he seemed less likely to commit suicide, Massou returned to the ever-growing file about Marcel Petiot. During his time as mayor of Villeneuve-sur-Yon, City Hall had a rash of minor thefts. In time, people suspected the mayor, but who could accuse him openly? He was the city's leader, a doctor, and beloved or beguiled by many townsfolk. But in time, the thefts could not be ignored, and those several prominent politicians who had their eye on Marcel for bigger things, if they ever came to power, were forced to back away, 
Marcel's reputation, at least as a politician, was in tatters. And yet, just before Petio was to be charged with stealing city funds, he resigned. This left him free to run again. And incredibly, he did just that, this time focusing on the needs of the war veterans. Between this and its confidence and charms, he almost pulled it off, but lost the race. Never one to admit defeat or guilt, Marcel Petio ran for and won the race for a general councillor, which can be likened to a member of the U.S. Congress. But the young doctor could not change his ways, and right away the thefts began afresh. He denied everything, but the evidence was in plain sight. Again, he had rewired enough electrical wire to his house to obtain free electricity, an obvious quirk of his. In July of 1933, he was found guilty, but got out of the jail term. Marcel resigned before he could be kicked out of office. He left again on his own terms. Back to 1944, Massou had Georgette's story verified, and indeed she had taken the train to Usair when her husband had disappeared. One thing that she told Massou opened up a new line of thought for the commissioner, which somehow never meant anything to his wife. She said Marcel was always good to her, never once had she seen him lose his temper. This is rare for any human, certainly one in a marriage, with all its complexities. For Massou, that told him much of Marcel, who was accused, after all, of being a serial killer. The man, obviously, had many faces. Now, none of this helped Massou in a specific way, but it was what he found out about Maurice Petio that intrigued him. One of the commissioner's men had questioned the owner of the Hotel Alico, where Maurice had stayed when in Paris. Turns out he came to Paris once a week, but not during the month of March when the bodies were found at the townhouse, at least not to his normal hotel. The hotel owner said the last time Maurice was in Paris was in February of 1944. What made it a strange event that was worth remembering, was that a truck driver and his assistant had come to the hotel to give Maurice a message. Their truck, loaded with goods, and thus valuable, had broken down. Trucks break down all the time in France, as parts and services were hard to come by, with the Germans in charge. But the men were clearly afraid of something, or someone, and after delivering the message, they left. Meanwhile, the legwork by Massou's men was starting to produce further information, if not evidence. One of the dresses found at the townhouse had been sold to a young woman by the name of Paulette, who worked in a nearby brothel. Paulette had been a prostitute in southern France, but came to Paris with her pimp about one year ago. As she was probably one of the killer's victims, it would have been best had she stayed in the smaller city and avoided the excitement and opportunities of the capital. The question for the commissioner was, how did the young woman and Dr. Petio meet? 
Was she a client of his? Did he assist many ladies of the same profession? Masu had to be careful, as the brothel Paulette had worked at had many clients. Some were important men in their own right, statesmen, movie stars, and the like, men more powerful than he, probably with German connections, that could make him disappear, like the people of Petio's townhouse. But from what Masu was learning of Petio's practice, it seems that he knew many of these ladies, as well as those who were addicted to various drugs, that seemed to have no problem getting from Marcel what they needed. Further delicate questioning of such workers led Massou to find out that Marcel not only took care of their various diseases as they arose, got them drugs, but was an occasional customer, or at the very least would trade his service for theirs. More than just sex, he learned from these women how to win over, how to manipulate, and how to dominate people, which could partly explain how he got so many people into his townhouse for the last time of their life. But it was the information coming to him from the Institute Medico Legal that continued to frustrate the commissioner. As the corpses, or parts of corpses, were being examined, Dr. Paul, the Institute's head, felt that whoever was dissecting the bodies knew what they were doing. In fact, as the bodies were gone over, they found that the ends of the fingers were removed in one cut. So, no fingerprints. Also, the victims' faces were expertly removed, again with one cut. Hence, Dr. Paul began to worry that one of his own forensic specialists was the killer. Such was the quality of the work done on the victims. But at the very least, he could tell Masu the killer was a doctor. Which, believe it or not, didn't help Masu with his theory so far about Marcel Petio. Yes, he was a doctor, but did he have the skills needed to dismember the bodies in such a way? Or again, was there more than one killer, or was he, probably a he, working with someone else, more knowledgeable about such things? As the majority of victims were female, they could tell by the pelvis, generally wider than a man's for childbirth, the killer seemed to be focused on hurting, humiliating, and possibly torturing women. So, someone who hated women, or wanted power over them. That did not narrow the possibilities, given the general history of the world, but the fact did beg the question, did Petiot hate women? According to his wife, Georgette, he was never mean to her. But did he hate his mother for dying when he was young, leaving him and his brother Maurice with their less-than-loving or overwhelmed father? But where the Institut Medico Legal failed Massou completely, because there was not enough evidence, was were the bodies cut up before the person was dead, as in, were they tortured? There were no violent wounds, no bullet holes, no bruises. To be sure, there were broken limbs, but those seemed to have come after death. 
The breaks probably came as the remains were being forced into relatively small stoves, which they already knew. Again, more information, but no progress. Which brought Masu back to poisons. But what few internal organs were found showed no traces of foreign chemicals. But then again, the lime, the firing of the bodies, and the decay made that an undetermined analysis. All these questions seemed unimportant to the people of Paris and France in general, as in this case was all anyone could talk about. But as the commissioner could not get his hands on Petiot, he needed all the information he could get to make progress in solving this case, a case the Germans had to be interested in. It was time to talk to Maurice Petiot again. As his story kept changing when Massou would present him with facts, the commissioner decided it was time to squeeze the brother of their main suspect a bit more. Massou asked Maurice about his whereabouts on March 11th, the day the bodies were found through the 13th. The man calmly stated that he had been in Auxerre, working and visiting friends and work acquaintances, like Albert Newhausen. Massou let this general statement wash over him and then hit his detainee with a harder, hopefully unexpected, question. Contrary to what you claim, you have sent certain products to the property at Rue Lussoir. Would you like to explain? But Maurice was not so easily shaken. If I have sent any materials, it is for you to prove it. Now that the man had partially removed his mask with this bold statement, Massou felt he could do the same. You have sent some, including lime. But again, it is for you to prove. Was this Maurice's counterattack taunting the authorities, knowing they had no proof? But what Maurice did not know was that Massou was not showing his full hand. He toyed with showing another of his cards, but decided to wait, as the brother still seemed resolved to stand his ground by continuing to be evasive. The police had already questioned one of the truck drivers, a 22-year-old who was scared in over his head and knew it. He told the authorities that he had delivered materials for Maurice several times. One such was when he picked up Maurice and drove him to a quarry to get 400 kilograms of quicklime for the townhouse. No, Masu decided it wasn't the right time. Instead, now that this explosive subject had been breached, it was time to skirt around it, to keep Maurice wondering why the commissioner did not pursue such an important line of questioning. The truck driver had also told the police, he, Maurice, had told me it was for whitewashing the property. And if this was the story, then that's all Maurice would have confirmed had he been asked. No, that could wait. Instead, the commissioner went with, have you seen any lime on the property of the townhouse? The answer wasn't expected. No, I have never seen any there. So Masu decided 
to ask about the lime without mentioning it directly. As he knew from the driver that the delivery had been on February 19th, three weeks before the bodies were found, he asked Maurice where he was on that specific date. Maurice gave the obvious, I was at home. But then Masu mentioned the driver's name, Jean Ustache, as if to say, I know more than you think, just like you know more than you are telling me. This seemed to crack the armor of Maurice, who then leaned back as if to approach his adversary from a new direction. Maurice then said, I will now tell you the truth, as if he had only been lying due to the serious nature of the accusations against his brother. He came clean that he had come to Paris around the 19th. He couldn't be sure of the date, with Ustache in his truck. But he was dropped off while the driver made his deliveries. They were supposed to meet the next day, but the young man never showed up with his truck. Not that it mattered, as the truck did not have lime in it, but was supposed to take back to Usair some electrical material that Maurice had bought in Paris. So, Maurice had come clean. But not really. However, he was teetering on the edge. So, Masu changed the subject. Had Maurice gone to the townhouse during that trip to Paris? If yes, he was admitting to being at the crime scene when some of the bodies had to be there. Maurice seemed to be coming clean again. I did go to Rue Le Soir, but not into the house, which Massou recognized as a fence-sitting statement. Again, the brother seemed to know that it would have been bad for him to admit that he had been inside. Maurice continued that he only went there to drop off some keys to his brother Marcel. Besides, the truck had only coal in it, not quicklime. Massou backed off for a moment. Maurice was coming unglued. First, the truck had one thing, then another. Then he offered to let the driver store the items in his truck at the townhouse while it was being repaired. But Maurice had not even mentioned the accident the truck had been in, though Massou knew this already. His story, or his cover, was making less sense with each minute. But Massou still felt that Maurice would lie to him if pushed further. No, he needed to be broken down even more. So, the subject was changed again. Do you know where your brother is? Maurice seemed more sure of himself with this as he was being asked his opinion rather than having the truth thrown in his face. He answered the question, but the commissioner felt that every word was a lie. Maurice answered that he had no information about his brother's whereabouts. He did not speak to his brother since the news came out and that he could only guess that either his brother was hiding with the resistance, had fled France, or had committed suicide. Not because he was guilty, but because his reputation was now ruined. Massou stopped the questions and told Maurice that he was to be held longer 
His detainee protested that he was innocent of everything. But Masu's justification was simple, as if he was trying to help clear Maurice's name. I have to follow up on everything you have just told me. The brother was led back to his cell. The commissioner went to bed that night, convinced that Marcel was the killer. However, that he had not been so for a long time. Like Henri Landru, who killed from 1915 to 1919. No, the butcher of Paris, just one of the labels the French press had gave Petio, had killed more people than Landru, but he had done it in a much shorter time. What was the rush? Was it beyond his control? Either way, the pace he had set for himself had led to the yet-burned bodies in his townhouse to be discovered. The last question Masu asked himself before going to sleep was, was Petio done killing and simply hiding, or would he continue to kill while being the most wanted man in France? <laughs> 